0: So good to seeing what's true, certainly to each other and to our own hearts. I I do want to, as we get into the message for today, I want you to get sort of in touch with your heart, like right where it is this morning. And uh, let's not dress it up. Let's not uh, put on a pretty face. Let's just get real and let's really dial in to where our hearts are this morning before we get to the text, because that's gonna help us, I think, appreciate the text. Let me ask you a few questions to sort of help you get there, and I'm, I'm asking these same questions. Do you feel like you are busier today than ever? Like just your schedule, your pace, the responsibilities and demands of your life does that feel heavy to you would you describe yourself right now with words like exhausted wiped out drained stressed anxious any of those words Do you feel generally like you manage your life or that your life is managing you? It's just coming at you and you're just reacting to it day in and day out. Would you say that you have genuinely matured spiritually since this time last year? And if so, could you, like if we had you stand up right now, could you say, this is what God has been doing in my life over this last year, and I'm different today than I was 12 months ago. And if not, see, I don't want you to feel guilty or ashamed or there's no condemnation in that, but like, let's ask the question, if I'm a Christ follower, if I'm in relationship with God Almighty and he's committed to changing my life, What's going on? Why am I generally kind of the same today as I was 12 months ago? Why have I not changed? It's a great question to ask. Like, What might have been the primary hindrance to your growth? What what could it be? Now, I'm going to ask a question, and I know that for some of us, this is going to sound legalistic. But I'm going to invite you to ask the question and think about it. How often do you spend undistracted time connecting upward with God? How often in a week, in a month, in a year, How often do you guard time, block it off, schedule it out, no exceptions, I'm in it with God, me and him personally, no distractions, no cell phones, no other media, like just me and God. How often do you do that? And when you do it, uh, I remember a pastor years and years ago, he's like, are you taking spit baths in the word? Or are you immersing yourself in it and letting it wash over you? See, I think there's a connection between our choices in that area and the change that we experience in our life. I think that immersion in God's word guided by his spirit singularly focused on his presence. I think that is what God uses to transform us as we spend the rest of our life. I feel like our hearts are being eroded by the velocity and the complexity of our lives. I read an article recently that said busyness has replaced extravagance as a symbol of status in our culture. Isn't that strange? So we're not going around bragging about all the stuff we got, how rich we are, a nice house and cars and all that kind of stuff. We just tell each other how busy we are. And that means something. I'm important because I'm busy. I think we're in a very real danger of missing out on the things that matter most in this life. And we're gonna talk about one of those today as we get into uh, chapter six of Luke. And it's a little bit of a cautionary tale because we're, we're gonna see these interactions. And uh, there's a lot of things I think Luke wants us to notice but I think he wants to notice those Pharisees again. And I think he's wanting to say, listen, if you, don't, if you don't walk carefully in this area, you could end up just like them. In fact, let me just take you to the end of our text. This is how the Pharisees end up. In the presence of Jesus, verse 11, they were filled with fury and discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. In the other gospel accounts, they're literally beginning to plan how they can take him out. These are the religious leaders of the day. They're in the presence of Jesus, watching him do miraculous things. And they're planning on how to murder him. That's where we get when we aren't careful about cultivating our hearts. And we do that in a thing called Sabbath. I'm gonna talk more about what that is here in just a moment. But that word shows up six times in our passage. So this is important. There's only gonna be one other place in the gospel of Luke, two other places, I, I take that back, where we'll see Sabbath become a real prominent thing again. But this is a big one. And we're gonna see this conflict going on between Jesus and these religious leaders. So let me first just just describe the two scenarios to you. The first one begins in verse one. It says, "'On a Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, "'His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, "'rubbing them in their hands. "'But some of the Pharisees said, "'Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath?'' Now, I, uh, I worked on a wheat harvest crew back when I was in high school, so we drove trucks and combines and we did all that kind of stuff just from Texas to North Dakota. We just followed the harvest. And one of the things that we would do occasionally as we're walking through a, a field somewhere is we'd, we'd just pluck up some of the heads of grain there and we'd rub them in our hands to get the husk and everything off, and then you just have the wheat berry, and then we just chew on the berries like gum. It's just a common thing that we would do. And uh, that's what the disciples are doing here. Now, what's interesting is, for the Pharisees, this is a Sabbath. There's rules about the Sabbath. Again, we're gonna get into that in a moment. But to pluck heads of berries from uh, from the grain field to rub it in your hands, to perhaps blow off the chaff, and then to eat it, that was work. And you don't work on the Sabbath. That's like if you, that's the deal. Sabbath, you don't work. But they considered that working. So they felt like those disciples were breaking the law of God which, by the way, was punishable by death. So this is serious stuff for them. This was so serious that throughout Israel's history, the rabbis would make up laws and rules. I think Jeff talked about this a little bit last week. Hundreds of laws and rules so as not to break the law, the Old Testament law. So they're like, hey, don't do anything that might resemble harvesting because that's work. Even rubbing grain in your hands and blowing off the chaff. There were literal rules against reaping, threshing, winnowing, and grinding. And there were 39 forbidden activities on the Sabbath. So that's what these guys are all thinking about. The intent, I want you to catch this. The intent originally was to preserve the value of the Sabbath. But somewhere along the way, it became about something else. Next scenario, verse six. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, watched Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So healing, like harvesting, was another one of the no-nos for the Sabbath day. That was considered work. Now, there were some exceptions related to like a life-threatening condition, but outside of that, if you had some kind of infirmity that could wait, then you were supposed to wait. Wait till the next day. Don't do it on the Sabbath. That's considered work, and we don't want to break the Sabbath. So it doesn't matter how much your infirmity bothers you, and if you might have an opportunity on the Sabbath to be healed, you're just going to have to wait. That's just the way it was for these religious leaders notice it says the scribes and pharisees were watching jesus and that greek word is like sort of cutting eyes like like sinister like (laughs) watching just to wait for that moment when they trip up and you jump on it It's the Sabbath. It's a day of worship. It's when God's people ought to be relishing the presence of God and they're watching to try and take out Jesus. Isn't that strange? Their priorities are completely out of line. They're not here for the reason that Sabbath was created to begin with. With with that, let's just ask the question, what is Sabbath? What is that? Uh, I want to commend a book to you. Um, It's by a guy named Mark Buchanan. It's called The Rest of God. And I have not read a better book on this subject of Sabbath than this right here. So if you're interested, this would be a great one. And I'm going to quote him a few times because he has just some great things to say about this subject. So Sabbath literally means to stop or to cease So that's the idea. The the question is, what are we stopping and ceasing for? That's what really makes the difference because you can stop and cease for anything. But this has very particular purposes. Um, For the Jew, Sabbath would go from Friday at sunset to Saturday at sunset. That was when that was legally binding, The law was set, keep the Sabbath, and it goes when the sun goes down on Friday to when the sun goes down on Saturday. Now, you may find this interesting. There are two uh, instances where we find the Ten Commandments spelled out, both of which contain that this is the fourth commandment, and uh, both of which contain them. I put this in your outline, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and I put them side by side because there's an interesting difference. The, The law is the same, but the rationale for the law is different. I want you to notice this with me. So Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. Exodus 20 says, "'Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy.'" Holy is that idea of set apart, it's unique, it's singular, it's its own thing. It has a special place. Deuteronomy 5 says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So generally the same. Both of them explain that six days you are to labor, you're to work, you're to do your job. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, a time of stopping, dedicated to the Lord your God and on it you shall not do any work same in both places here's where the difference comes in in exodus it says for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day so in exodus the explanation for why you should observe or remember the Sabbath is because God did, right? God, six days, God created, put everything in place and then it says everything was good and he rested. He ceased from his work. Now, one quick question, did God need to rest? No, of course not, but he did. And we find out here that he did that as an example, as a model for us. So it's sort of like if if God rested and he didn't have to, then certainly we should because we need to. That's the idea here. Mark Buchanan says, imitate God so that you stop trying to be God. Now, in Deuteronomy, there's a different rationale. It says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. So in Deuteronomy, you're told to keep the Sabbath because you were once slaves and you've been delivered. Now, think about this for a second. How many of you think when you hear the word Sabbath, you think freedom? See, I'll bet you that most of you, when you hear the word Sabbath, you think confinement. You think restriction. But, But we gotta understand this in the context of these Israelites who were enslaved to Egypt. They had taskmasters. They didn't get to rest. They were made to work day after day after day. And if you didn't do it, you got whipped for it. You got beaten. But the Lord delivered them from that. And so Moses in Deuteronomy is saying, since you have been delivered, celebrate this freedom that you have been given by a powerful God who loves you. that might change your thinking about Sabbath, huh? I mean, me too. Sabbath rest is intended to remind us of the freedom that God secured for us, not some kind of religious obligation that we have. And then both of these passages conclude with, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So a big takeaway from both of these is the rest of God is a gift of God. The rest of God is a gift of God. Uh, Mark Buchanan again says this, the rest of God... The rest God gladly gives so that we might discover that part of God we're missing, I love that, is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It's sheer gift. That's all it is. So isn't it interesting that we are so resistant to Sabbath, Isn't it interesting how often when when this is discussed in Christian circles, we're so fearful of legalism. (laughs) And I honestly wonder like, okay, that's one of the 10 commandments. Are we concerned about legalism in the other nine? Don't murder. Now, don't be legalistic about that. Don't covet. I mean, you know, I mean, if you really get in a pinch, you can covet, it's okay, just let it, it's okay. No, we're very legalistic (laughs) about those things because those are the things that cause life to flourish. God knows how we were created and how we relate to him and to each other. So he gives us those rules because he knows if you'll follow these, they'll cause your life to be fruitful They aren't just rules for rules sake. They're protective. They're good, including the Sabbath. I've got this in your notes. This is a gift, it does three things. It protects you, it provides for you and it produces in your life. Uh, It protects us from the consequences of self-reliance. See, if we didn't have to keep the Sabbath, we would be more inclined just to trust in ourselves, wouldn't we? I certainly would. It provides us with needed renewal for the exertion of work. See, you and I are supposed to work hard. Six days, not seven. And then we're supposed to have this day where we we put everything down and we sit before our God and we say, restore my soul i'm empty because of because i've exerted myself for good things you know remember we just read about this jesus would get away to a desolate place to meet with his father to be renewed that's how we're made that's what it is to be broken frail needy flawed And lastly, it produces maturing, fruit-bearing faith in us because what we do is we see God move into this place. So where we cease, we see him move in and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And it builds our faith. We learn to trust him. Again, Mark Buchanan, the heart is the place the busy life exacts its steepest toll. Sabbath-keeping It's a form of mending. And you and I need to be mended regularly. So what do you do with your Sabbath? It's a gift that you've been given, whether you realize it or not, whether you want it or not. You have a gift of Sabbath that has been secured for you. What do you do with it? Some people believe that uh, we ought to just follow it to the letter from the Old Testament. That's a view on Sabbath. Others believe it is more of a way of life to be practiced according to personal preference. Another camp kind of believes that Sabbath, from an Old Testament perspective, really just points our view toward our future where we will have eternal Sabbath rest because of what Christ did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. I I can't tell you what you're supposed to do. But... Let's think about where we found our hearts when we started this morning. Is it possible that you need Sabbath rest far more than you realize? That you actually need it so badly that you would devote yourself to it? That you would just say, I'll actually even sacrifice some other things Good things, important things, precious things so that I can be renewed in my devotional time with God. I fear many of us do little or nothing with Sabbath as a result of that velocity and that complexity of life that we experience. And yet Sabbath... May be the very thing that would preserve us in the midst of all that. Well, let's look quickly at how Jesus responded to those accusations that the Pharisees lodged against he and his disciples. Go back to verse 3. So remember, they've accused them of unlawful work on the Sabbath day. Jesus said, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man, speaking of himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. It's a little bit interesting, uh, uh, sort of unexpected. They accuse them of doing work on the Sabbath and then Jesus pulls up a story that they would have been familiar with. These are Pharisees. They know their Old Testament. He draws from 1 Samuel 21 and 22 and David and some of his men were out. They were actually fleeing Saul who was at this By this time, he was an illegitimate king. He was was going to lose his throne to David. So he's chasing David. And David and his men are running for their lives and they're starving. And so they come to the temple and they're like, we're starving. (laughs) We're gonna die if we don't eat. And so The most obvious solution is there's this bread that's made just for the temple. It's made for sacrifice and it's made for consumption only by the priests. But David's the king. And somehow in the midst of that, they come to the conclusion that it's okay for the king to break the law for the good of those he loves and serves. So they eat the bread. Now, the Pharisees know this story and none of them are condemning David for doing what he did. Here's Jesus with his disciples. They're out doing the work of God, fulfilling this ministry that they've been given. They're hungry. And so they grab a little bit of grain, which was totally Uh, permissible in uh, among the people of Israel the poor were allowed to grab grain from a field as long as they weren't literally harvesting it but they could feed so that they wouldn't starve that's just what the disciples are doing and so Jesus is pointing out hey guys it seems to me like you're more concerned about some technicalities that are law driven than the good of these people that you, you as religious leaders are called to love and to serve and to shepherd. That's the violation. Jesus explained that the good David did for his men superseded the restriction that there had been placed on that bread in the temple. The Pharisees were so focused on restrictions that they failed to see the heart of the one who gave the law to begin with. And Jesus reminds them in a fairly pointed way, I'm the one that gave you that law. And because of that, I can kind of do with it whatever I want to. I can even take care of my men Hosea 6.6, 6, just jot that down and might be a great phrase for meditation. It says, I desire, this is God speaking, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, it's not that sacrifice and burnt offerings and those things aren't important. They just have their own place and they need to be kept in their place. Going through ritual isn't more important than loving people. And when we get those confused, we are way off track. We have missed the heart of God. Now jump down to verse 8 and we get a similar kind of response. Again, a different scenario this man comes into the synagogue. He has a withered hand, which just basically means he has no use of his right hand, which think about it. Most people are right-handed and he would have needed that hand to do whatever work it was that uh, kind of was his way of living. So he comes in. There's, there's even the idea that this might be a setup, which is horrific. Think about Religious leaders, they go out and they find a guy who's disabled and they're like, hey, could you drop by the synagogue this afternoon? Not to be healed, but so that we can get Jesus. I mean, it's, it's sick. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there and Jesus said to them and I think in some of the other gospel accounts this is a little more intense than Luke records it. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? I'm just asking. And after looking around at them, he said, stretch out your hand. And the man did so and his hand was restored. Swindoll calls this the defiant Messiah. I love that. See, the answer's obvious. Of course, it's lawful to do good and save a life, even on the Sabbath. You know, it's, it's almost like there's a little bit of sarcasm uh, put in here. But he's also saying it's unlawful to do harm, to destroy a life, to neglect a need just for the sake of Sabbath. Does that make sense? Like, let's not get so caught up in our religious mechanics that we forget each other. Like, God brings us together certainly to worship him, but we're a body. We're members of one another. And we cannot disregard that for religious purposes. I think self-importance is the issue here, not Sabbath. See, These guys have become so consumed with themselves and their own thoughts and the way they think things ought to be that they've really forgotten what Sabbath was for. It's like Sabbath would actually correct self-importance, but they have missed it altogether. The rest of God is a gift of God, which protects and provides and produces a life connected upward with God. That's why we were given it. No performance. So Jesus exposes the Pharisees' evil intentions and then he heals the guy. And and what was kind of humorous is he does it without technically working. So he still didn't break any laws when he healed the guy. All he did was speak and the guy stretched out his hand and it was whole. So That's what made these guys so furious. They had the whole thing set up. It was a perfect opportunity. We're gonna get this guy. And he heals the guy on a Sabbath and doesn't perform any work. So they can't even get him on that. It's beautiful. Back to their response. They were filled with fury. Can you imagine witnessing a healing who knows how, how long this man had been in his condition and how debilitating it may have been. Perhaps he was, perhaps he just lost everything like no, no means of surviving. And, and you see that and then you're filled with fury. That word is mindless rage Irrational anger, it's pathological. It is so deep in them that nothing short of a miracle of God would change that. And, I, and they just continued to walk in it. That's how we get to the cross. This right here, this is how we get to the cross is people who see Jesus as a threat to their power rather than as a savior who comes to give life. How does Jesus respond to people like this or people like us? This is how we're gonna end today. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me all who labor, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Maybe some of these rules and laws and commands that I've given you, take those upon you and learn from me. Let those things instruct you about how to flourish in this life. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, Christ says. And if you'll do all that, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When was the last time you came to him and stopped and sat and listened and learned and found rest? I want you to take a minute. in place with your heart, in in touch with your heart? Like, where are you and um, how might you respond to this? And I I do want to encourage you rather than swinging, like we do this, (laughs) we discover something that needs to change and then we're like, well, I'm changing everything, the whole thing. Like just what's one little step you can take? What's one little habit you can form that might put you in a place to celebrate Sabbath? Take a moment and just prayerfully let let the Lord guide you in that. Ask him, say, Lord, how can I keep the Sabbath? What would that look like in my life? Take a moment.